Amen. That's why we're gathered here today, is to praise him. And some of us come in this room today, and we are ready. We're busting out of our seats. I saw some of you guys dancing, right? It's the wrong church. We don't, no, it's, you're in the right church. We, man, we uh, come, and our hearts are ready to praise God. Some of us are coming with heavy hearts, uh, hearts that are hurting, hearts that feel like doing anything but singing a praise song. But the beautiful thing about the body is, of Christ is that we gather together, whether there is a deep sorrow or a deep joy in our hearts. And, and what we find is that as we turn our gaze to heaven, as we turn our gaze upon our God, the act of praising him, and sometimes we feel like it and sometimes we don't, but the act of praising him begins to actually transform the very heart that's praising him. So I, 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 my prayer is that as we come together today, no matter where you're at, that as we praise our God, he will change us through that praise. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors and elders here at Peninsula Grace. I'm glad you're with us. If, you, if you're new, welcome. If you're very, very old, meaning you've been with us for a while here, uh, that we love you too, and we're still glad you're coming. Um, we, uh, if, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be uh, all over the place today, uh, and so we, we're, don't open anywhere, but you can have them ready. Uh, we have been walking through this series called The Unfolding Promise. We're going to be looking at uh, these, we've been looking at these series of covenants that God makes with his people through the great story of the Bible, and last week and this week, we're talking about David and the promises that God made uh, to and through uh, David. So anybody here um, a Family Feud fanatic? Uh, I, I don't know how many hours I have wasted with the Game Show Network and me and, and late nights uh, just watching mindless entertainment. But I love this, this game show. you got two families feuding, right? It's a good name for the show. Uh, five on five. So it's like basketball but with surveys instead of a hoop. And what they do at the end of the, each game, if you've watched it, they select one family member, a representative of their family to play fast money. Now, I, I've, I've always felt like that would be a terrifying moment. Like your family's counting on you to answer these questions correctly to win your family $20,000. A lot on the line there. And you've got to know what the, what, what the majority of 100 people would put on top of their hamburger, right? Cheddar, good answer, good answer. So the family is looking for somebody to represent them well, to act and speak on their behalf so that they can dance around like a bunch of fools and they just won 20 grand, right? Now, um, we, we see this idea of a representative all the time. A, a representative um, is, the definition is this, it's someone who's entitled or appointed to act or speak for someone else, something else, especially in an official capacity. So there's a couple of key components we see of what it means to represent. The first one is somebody with the authority who's in position to give you authority has done so. They say, you are representing us. And then secondly, though, that representative has a specific job, something to say, something to do, and they're entrusted to do that thing well. So in Family Feud, we saw that the family gave that representative authority to play fast money in order to win them $20,000. We also see this in our nation, that ambassadors are sent by our official authorities here in the United States, and what's their job? To go represent our entire nation to another nation, to speak on our behalf, to, to act on our behalf. We saw this this summer in a great fashion. When Lydia Jacoby was qualified, that's what made her... Hey, hey, I didn't say to clap yet. All right. <laughs> Qual I was building. You guys just ruined it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we, she, she was qualified. So why was, how was she sent with the authority? Uh, because she qualified in the pre-Olympic trials to represent. And did she not represent? She represented Seward. She represented Alaska. USA! USA! I was, still, I was in 
uh, Indiana at a conference. I was in an Airbnb sitting on my little fold-out couch, screaming at the television, chucking a pillow at a TV that I had to pay for later because it was an Airbnb. I was cheering on Lydia, and she won the gold, representing our state and, and our country. And then, then finally, a, a guardian ad litem. This is what they do, that they are appointed by a judge, someone with authority, to do what? To speak well for a child's interests during a court case, right? Representing them on their behalf. So this is what a representative does. Now, as we zoom back out and consider the world that we live in, God created the heavens and the earth. We see that on page one of the Bible. Why did he do that? Well, the Bible is clear from cover to cover. He did this for one reason, and that was to display his own glory. That we would see the full beauty and, and wonder and holiness and power and love on earth as it really is in heaven. And, and so we, see, we want to see the full, God wants us to see the full reality of who he is. And that, this is what we've been walking through in this series called The Unfolding Promise. That we're seeing throughout the Bible's story that God is looking for humans who will partner with him in what we call a covenant, a binding agreement, and that they will rightly relate with their God and rightly represent his glory here on earth. That's what it means to be an image bearer, to be a little representative or icon here on earth of the glory of God in heaven. And so we see that there is a representative that God is looking for, who he created humans and he has the authority, right? God has all authority in heaven and on earth, has sent humans to do what? To speak and act on his behalf in this world. Our job, and there is no greater job, is to represent the glory of God here on earth in the way that we live our lives. What God is looking for is a representative son, representative sons and daughters through humankind. And what we're going to see in the story of the Bible is that God is looking for um, this, this representative uh, role in, in three types of leadership. And we're going to hear this a lot today. The leadership roles were a prophet, a priest, and a king. A prophet, a priest, and, and a king. Now, in the Old Testament, we see at the beginning, uh, right on page one, God appoints Adam and actually calls Adam to be all three of these roles. So he calls him to be a prophet, that he's speaking on behalf of God. What's the first thing that God does? He, or Adam does? He names the animals. God, God, he's speaking and representing God by the way that he acts and the way that he lives. We also see that, God, that Adam is a priest. Remember what we said, that he is there to guard the holy space of the Garden of Eden, the place where God dwells with man. It was the first temple, right? And that's what Adam and Eve are to do is protect that holy space. And then he is God's king, that Adam and Eve, God's king and queen, are to go into the rest of the world, and what does he say? Have dominion over it, rule over it, that under God's authority, they are to go take care of the rest of the planet under the authority of God. And then as we move through the story, what we see, obviously, Adam and Eve failed to represent him well, and so God's got a rescue plan to rescue us and back into that role. And, and then we turn to the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel embodies these three roles, but they have a little division of labor here, a balance of powers, where we see... There are people who are prophets. Last week we talked about the prophet Nathan or Isaiah or Jeremiah. These men speaking on behalf of God. We see priests, the line of, of Levi, right? Aaron and Eli who are priests. And then we see kings, David, Solomon, Hezekiah. We see three different roles here with the people of Israel. And then we're going to turn today. We're going to see with David, this little shepherd boy. 
He is going to be a shadow, a whisper of God's plan. And what we hear is, we, always, we often think of King David, but today we're going to be introduced to Prophet David and Priest David as well. But ultimately, David is pointing us forward to the, to the last Adam, that, that Jesus came and, and did what that first Adam couldn't do. And once again, all three roles of prophet, priest, and king are embodied in this one role through Jesus Christ himself. So we're going to talk about David today, but really, as always, we're going to talk about Jesus. Okay? We're going to say that David points us to Jesus, who is God's true representative son here on earth, our forever prophet, priest, and king. And that it's only through Jesus that we see the full display of God's glory. So let's look at David. Let's look at Jesus. And then let's look at what that means for our lives today. The first one we see is David. He is God's representative um, acting on behalf of Israel. So remember, from the moment that Adam and Eve took a bite of the fruit, they failed to be God's representative. And then we've seen Israel as God's son, his firstborn, as he calls them in Exodus, also failing him over and over again through rebellion and idolatry. They're they're a faithless son. And so out of this, God calls this shepherd boy out of the obscurity of the the fields into the throne room of of Israel. And that he is going to be called by God to be for Israel what Israel could not be on their own. And so we see David called to be these three roles of representative. Let's first look at David as prophet. We fast forward to the book of Acts. Jesus is just raised from the dead. And all of this, these Jewish uh, listeners are just stunned as what they just saw. And Peter is preaching to them. And in verse 30 of, of Acts 2, he says this. Since he, David, he's referring to, was a prophet. So you see here, he calls David a, a prophet. Now, why is he a prophet? Well, we said a prophet is one who speaks on behalf of God, right? His representative speaker, a messenger for God to others. And he says this is exactly what David did. Verse 30 goes on. He knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on the throne. If you were here with us last week, we saw that God's covenant with David is to preserve his royal line. There would become a king from the line of David who would rule forever and ever and ever on that throne. And he points to that promise. And this is what he says in verse 31. Seeing what was to come, David spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. When did David speak about a resurrection of the Messiah? He says he did it in Psalm 16. If you look at your little cross-reference in your Bible, this takes us to Psalm 16, which is a psalm of David. And David says he was not abandoned in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. Now, on one hand, David's talking about himself, that David was rescued from the, the grips of death by God's providence. But then even more so, he's pointing toward his coming son, the anointed king, the Messiah. And we know Jesus Christ was not abandoned in the grave, was he? Three days later, God raised him up that his body did not decay in Hades, but he was raised to be king forever and ever. And this is what the Psalms are. In Psalm 16, in fact, in the book of Psalms, over half of them are David. And he is talking about his own life and his own experiences, but he's also, God is speaking through David as a prophet, to point toward the ultimate, the true David that was to come. So I picture him hanging out on that that harp and thumping out some some prophetic line, I heard the sheep, but have you heard the word? (laughs) It's good, because it's a play on words. It's okay, that's cool. First service didn't like that either. So the, the Psalms are, are David prophesying about the, the one to come. So a prophet is representing God to man. 
that God wants to tell us beautiful, wonderful truths about himself and our reality, and that he goes through these people speaking for him called prophets. So these people speak God's words, as we're seeing David in the Psalms do, but they also are ones that first listen. They cannot tell God's words to others if they're first not downloading it from God, right? And so this is what we see. Remember when we talked about God's true king, the king of his choosing? There was one positive requirement. Do you remember what it was? Deuteronomy 17. It was that they would be a person that would hear God's law and obey it. To hear in the Hebrew mindset is to obey. So this king was one that was to have a copy of the law right next to him, not just to look good, but so that the king would listen to his true king and obey him. That the king was to be the model citizen to all Israel. This is what it looks like to obey God. And we know that as a general principle, as the leader goes, so goes the nation. God says, my people are not listening to me. They're not obeying me. So David, I want you to show them what it looks like to trust their God and obey their God and to be a light to the nations, right? That was Israel's task. In the way that they lived, they would stand so far apart from everybody else that they would be a light in a dark, dark world. So David serves as God's prophet, speaking God's words and then actually obeying them himself. And just like this representative from the feud. Then we also see that David is God's priest. Now, you might say, well, wait a second. They, they had priests. That was from the line of Levi, right? And it was only people who were born of the tribe of Levi. David's from the line of Judah. He's not a priest. Well, let's, let's look at this. So the job of a priest was to, was to represent the people. It was to walk into the holy place of God, now embodied in the temple, on behalf of the people, to lead them into the presence of God, representatively, and to lead them into the praise of their God. This was the job of the priests. But what we have seen, if you, if you know the story of the Bible, do they do that well? They do not. There has been an epic fail ever since Aaron was at the bottom of Mount Sinai. He is leading the people in a golden calf worship service while Moses is on the top of the mountain writing down in the law, you shall not form any images of your own design. They're disobeying the law as it's being spoken. Like right out of the gates, the Levites are failing to obey God and lead them faithfully into his presence. And so eventually, God, if we fast forward to 1 Samuel 2, he talks to Eli and he says that your priestly line of Levi will be canceled. That God is going to raise up another priest, another outside of the line of Levi. He says, I'm going to raise a forever priest that, that actually is, is in tune with my own heart. And that leads us to Psalm 110. Some, some uh, translations have it subtitled, The Priestly King. Psalm 110 is actually the most quoted, uh, new in the New Testament, it's the most quoted passage from the Old Testament. It wouldn't necessarily be the first one we would think, but this is the one that's quoted more often than any, and it's usually this very first verse. This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. So what is going on here? Well, God is speaking to David. So the Lord, all caps, okay, that's when we're speaking for Yahweh. The Lord said to my Lord, so that, that, that other Lord is a ruler or a king. So God is speaking to David, but he's also speaking to the Messiah that will come from David's line. Jesus actually references this passage himself. How can he call me Lord and Son simultaneously? And so what we see here is David uh, himself speaking God's word as a prophet, saying that God spoke to me and also told this to ultimately my Messiah. And what does he say to the Messiah? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
This Messiah will be a conquering king who will prop his feet up on Satan like, yeah, what? Right? He's going to defeat sin and death and Satan for all time as our conquering king. Verse 2, the king will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. So not just one that's going to rule over Israel, but from Zion to the rest of the world. Rule over your surrounding enemies. This reign will spread throughout the whole world. So this is a, a nod to the coming king Messiah. But then he takes this weird turn in verse 4. And he says, The Lord has sworn, sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever, according to the pattern of Melchizedek. So he says, there's this king coming from David's line, but he's also going to be called a priest. So he's a priestly king. So what does this mean? He says, in the, in the line of Melchizedek. Now, you remember, we don't have time, but you go back to Genesis, and, and Melchizedek comes out of nowhere and, and appears to, to, to Abraham, and he blesses him showing that whoever Melchizedek was was greater than Abraham, greater than Israel, because the one who blesses is greater than the one who got blessed. And so there's this king coming from, no, this priest king, and, and, and Melchizedek's called both a priest and a king who blesses Israel. And then we see this really weird story in 2 Samuel 6, right before David um, is, uh, God makes the covenant with David. The Ark of, of the Covenant, which is, symbolizes God's presence, is brought to the new capital, which is Jerusalem, and, and David, he, they bring the ark into the capital, and we see David dancing like a fool. He is praising God, and then it says he offers sacrifices. Now, wait a second, that's the priest's job. David offers sacrifices, and it says he's wearing an ephod, which was the priest outfit. So here's David leading the people in praise, wearing the priest outfit, and doing the priest's work of sacrificing to God on their behalf. What is David doing? He's out, he's, stay in your lane, king, right? You're a king, not a priest. There's this weird moment that's foreshadowing this very prophecy in Psalm 110, that there is one who's coming both to do the king's work and the priest's work. And the priest's job is to represent man to God. If the prophet represents God to man through speaking his words, the priest represents the man, the humankind, to God. That's what the priests were doing, entering into God's throne room on behalf of the people. But of course, Israel's priests, the Levites, were failing to do that failing to rightly represent them and to worship. They were sinners themselves. And so David, he foreshadows this forever priest king that is coming to do what Israel was unable to do, to bring God back, to bring Israel back and the nations back into the presence of a holy God. David as prophet, David as priest. And the one we know him as, David as king. First of all, he's going to be the king of Israel. I want you to imagine for a moment that we have a president that, that, that steps into office. And this president is able to end all of the infighting in our country. <laughs> that would be impressive, right? Things are real bad right now. Here comes this king that brings peace within our entire land. We are in a moment in our nation's history where that is really, really hard to ever imagine. A, a, a president that can bring peace within our nation, but then also, even better, bring peace within, uh, with us and other nations. So there would be no war, that we would be at peace, at rest with all the nations around the world. What a place, what a world to live in. And this is exactly what the Bible says that David did. That, that David, as the king of Israel, after 400 years of bondage to, 
in Egypt. Remember, think about what it would mean to be a slave for 400 years. And then 40 years, they're wandering around in the wilderness. And then for 200 years, there's nothing but bloodshed and chaos during the period of the judges. And then there's 20 years with Saul. Saul was a bad, bad king. And then after that comes David. And at last there comes this king sitting on the throne. And 2 Samuel 7 says, when the king had settled into his palace... The Lord had given him rest on every side from all of his enemies. That King David brought perfect peace and rest with all the other nations around them. The Hittites and the Ammonites and the Gigabites and the Appetites, right? All the ones that are living around them. And not only with the surrounding nations, but the next chapter says inside the land too. So David reigned over all Israel, administering justice and righteousness for all his people. A king that was rightly punishing the wicked, rightly lifting up what was right, rightly feeding the poor, rightly clothing the naked, righteousness and peace throughout the land and with their nation and other nations. Peace on earth. 40 more years, 40 more years. But David, as great as that reign was, his reign comes to an end and he dies. And we find that David is a sinner just like the rest. This was not the Messiah. This was not the eternal king that they were hoping for. He passes the baton along to Solomon, his son. And Solomon is the one. Now, remember in the promise we saw last week, there's going to be a a descendant that comes from you, David, and he's going to reign forever. And so we're thinking, is this the one to come? And in this moment where they're putting Solomon onto the crown, onto the the throne, God reminds them of the promise. He says in, in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 7, I will establish his kingdom, Solomon's kingdom, forever if, here's the condition, if he perseveres in keeping my commands and my ordinances as he is doing today. He says Solomon will sit on the throne forever if he is an obedient king. Now what do we know about Solomon? Solomon takes a thousand women who are not his first wife. Or 999, I guess. But Solomon commits idolatry and leads the people away from worship no sooner than David had given the land peace. And Solomon himself, he reigns and then he dies. And the nation, you guys, the nation devolves into into civil war. The nation, right after Solomon, is torn in two. It leads into chaos and idolatry, child sacrifice, unspeakable wrongs. And, And Israel, remember, they made a covenant. God made a covenant with them. If you obey me, I will bless you. But if you disobey me, I will curse you and eventually send you into exile. And that's exactly what happens that they are sent into exile into Assyria and Babylon right back to slavery like he had brought them out of in the first place from Egypt. And throughout the rest of the story in the Old Testament, the prophets point us toward that descendant that obviously was not Solomon. And it was none of these sons that we saw reigning sinfully on the throne in Israel and in Judah. And Isaiah, one of God's messengers, he comes in and he actually prophesies in Isaiah 8 that they're going to be sent to Assyria. But then in in chapter 9, he says, when you're at the end of your rope, when you're in exile because of your own sin, when it looks like your people will be facing slavery for the rest of their existence, in that moment, when it looks like it can't get any darker, you turn to Isaiah 9 and he says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And don't we need to be reminded of these words in this day and age when it can be easy? Honestly, guys, I get weary and I can look around in this day and age and go, man, there, I, just, I just see a lot of darkness. 
I don't see a lot of hope. Like, I don't, I don't see, I don't see the, the peace of Christ reigning in our nation right now. I don't see it in this world right now. It can look dark. But he says, when it looks like the light is gone, he says, and it looks like it's nothing but dark, on that horizon, here comes a little light. And the light was in the form of a king. He says down in verse 6, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. A child who will become a king, he will be named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast. Its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And that's hope. That's hope that there's, no matter how dark it looks, he says there's a king that's coming. And unlike for 40 years, he will reign on the throne, not just over Israel, but over all the nations with peace and justice and righteousness forever. You fast forward two chapters and it says, and a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. And that's David's dad. And a branch from its roots will bear fruit. That tree has been chopped down. David's kingly line has fallen. It ended when they went into captivity into Babylon. But he says, when it looks like it's dead, There'll be this little, little shoot that pops up. There'll be this, this, this one that I told you about, this anointed one is going to come. And he goes on in, in Isaiah 11. We don't have time for the whole thing, but he says the wolf will dwell with the lamb. There will be this moment of peace. Out of chaos and bloodshed will come peace and life. And verse 10, on that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. Not just Israel. Remember, what did he say to Abraham? I'm going to bless all nations through your nation, Abraham. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. We're back to Eden. And what does Isaiah go on to tell us about this man? Not only is he a conquering king that will come from the line of David, but he will also be a suffering servant. That this Messiah to come is not going to win wars through swords and, and military strategy, but by the word of God. That he will not take a single life around him within his country or outside of it. But he will actually become the conquering king by laying down his life. That's what Isaiah 53 says. It says he's going to rescue you out of captivity by, by making himself a servant. And he'll give you healing through his own wounds. The king was called to represent God over man, to rule over them in a way that would bring them into perfect obedience to God, perfect peace in their hearts amongst their people and amongst the nations. But there's this tension that you feel as you read through the Old Testament story because God is simultaneously saying, I'm going to keep my faithful covenant to you no matter what. No matter what, I'm going to bring this snake crusher who will defeat sin and death and Satan on your behalf and usher you into peace and prosperity for all time. And yet, he requires perfect obedience from this representative son. How can he do both? If we're back to family feud, that'd be like Steve Harvey telling this guy, I'm going to give you $20,000 no matter what, and you have to get a perfect score. Well, wait a second, which one is it? How can you both be faithful to give us what you've promised and yet still require perfect obedience? There was one solution, and that was for God to become the representative son himself. And that's exactly who our Jesus is. 
Jesus, just like David represented Israel, Jesus represents God on behalf of all humanity. I love, this is so cool. In in Revelation 1, verse 5, it actually describes all three roles about Jesus in this one sentence. John, the apostle, says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the one who speaks on behalf of God, that's your prophet, the firstborn from the dead, he's the first one alive back into God's presence to bring all those who believe in him into God's presence. That's the work of a priest. And then finally, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is king over all kings and Lord over all lords. So we look at these three roles of Jesus. First of all, he's a prophet. He's God's prophet. That Jesus came to represent God to man. And he does this in two ways. He speaks God's words, just like the Old Testament prophets were God's mouthpiece. But Jesus is the better prophet. But not, Jesus did not just come to speak God's words. What do we see on the first page of, 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 the, of the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Jesus, as God, doesn't just speak God's words, he is God's Word. And that Jesus came to call us. He, he, he came to speak these words. He came to speak hard words, you guys. He came to say, you are a sinner. You're in desperate need. You have lack. You have rebelled against your God. You are deserving nothing but wrath. He, had, he came to say hard words, but he also came to say the sweet words that you are also, I've also come to save you from that wrath. I, I've also come to rescue you and to change your rebellious hearts. And I've come to give you life and forgiveness. So Jesus comes speaking God's words, but he also comes hearing God's word. Remember, the king was to perfectly obey God. And for 33 years, Jesus perfectly trusted and obeyed his father. If you want to know what God looks like, we turn to the four gospels in our Bibles and we see God perfectly represented here on earth. So Lydia Jacoby, she was sent in our place to go represent Seward, Alaska, and the United States in in, in the Olympics. And she swam the race that I could never swim. Right? That, that Lydia won the gold that I could never win. We're cheering her on. We're cheering her on. You do for us, Lydia, what we could never do. I can barely doggy paddle, right? And Jesus Christ did for me what I could never do. He obeyed God. That he represented God's glory here on earth in perfect trust and obedience. And won for me the righteousness of God, right standing before my Father as I cheer Jesus on for what he did in my place. He's also God's priest. He's God's prophet. He's God's priest representing man in God's sight. Remember the Levites epically failed to represent Israel to God in the temple. That Israel itself failed to represent God as a light to the nations. Light to the nations, they were as bad or worse than the nations. And so what we see is Jesus coming from a greater line than the line of Levi. Hebrews 7 breaks this down and says he's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He transcends, just like Melchizedek came out of nowhere. Jesus comes out of nowhere to do what the Levites could never do. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 16, in the middle of that weird, kind of boring, hard-to-understand book is this beautiful chapter. Leviticus 16 is the Day of Atonement, where once a year that this high priest would enter into the holy of holies as a mediator between holy God and sinful man. And he would come into this holy place with a sacrifice and putting the blood on the altar, he would make this atonement on behalf of all the people of Israel. That once a year, it says in Leviticus 16, 16, he did this because of the uncleanness of the sins of Israel. And what would this high priest do? He would come year after year 
after year. Why? Man, because the blood of an animal can't take anybody's sins away. Because that high priest had his own junk to deal with, right? This was not a perfect high priest, and it was not a perfect sacrifice. But it pointed us toward both. That Jesus Christ didn't just offer a sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. And he does not have to go back and die on the cross year after year after year. Why? Because he is perfect as God. And he could make a one-time sacrifice that covers all of our sins for the rest of all time. This is what Hebrews 9 tells us. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He entered into that greater, more perfect tabernacle into God's actual presence in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. How did he do it? With his own perfect blood, not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place, not year after year, but once for all time and secured our redemption. That means that's what that word means to be brought back, purchased back into God's presence forever. Amen. And just like that guardian ad litem, and Jesus' blood speaks a better word. On behalf of our judge, do you, you realize right now, like literally right now as, as I'm preaching, Jesus is in heaven interceding on our behalf. That's what Romans 8 says, the Hebrews says. But God's praying, Jesus is praying to you, for you right now. He's, he's saying, that one's mine. That's, that's, that one I bought back with my blood. He believed in what I did for him. He cheered me on as I won the gold on his behalf. And now that one is covered. Yeah, that he just sinned again. My blood covers that. Yes, she just messed up again. She just rebelled against you again. But my blood covers that. They're forgiven. There's no condemnation. There's, there's hope. There's growth for that believer as Jesus prays and intercedes on our behalf as our perfect, sympathetic high priest. He knows what you're going through because he went through the same sufferings as he came here on this earth. What a prophet. What a priest. And then finally, he is God's king. He's God's king, representing God over man and his perfect rule. He is God's ambassador that brings God's perfect rule here onto earth on the behalf of God himself, because he is God. In the Old Testament, these Israel, Israel's kings were called to bring peace and prosperity and welfare to the whole nation. And David, the best king of all time, there was a short period of time where the, the nation experienced this, this peace. What a wise and powerful king we have. And there was, they could say, it is well with my soul, but that didn't last. And they went back into captivity. But here Jesus comes. As Revelation 19 says, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He has come the first time as a baby who grew into a man to die and, and resurrect on our behalf. But then he's going to come again. And this time he's not coming in a cradle. He's coming on a white horse. And he is coming to reign on this earth for the rest of eternity. That's right. And Jesus brings permanent peace and permanent prosperity. He fought every single one of our battles. And now he reigns in our hearts. He's going to reign on this earth physically. But right now he reigns in our hearts in a way that we are free from sin for the rest of all time. Sin, you realize, sin can never become master of you again in Christ. And we can certainly step back into that. We can certainly step back into those old ways. But sin will no longer be our master. Death will no longer be the final outcome for the believer. We have victory in our prince of peace. We said at the outset that God created the earth for one reason, and that was to display his glory, to show the full reality of who he is. And God was looking for this representative son that would, that would represent his glory here on earth, that would embody God's glory on physical earth. But he could not find it in Adam. He could not find it in Noah. 
He didn't find it in Abraham. He didn't find it in the entire nation that came from Abraham. And he didn't even find it in King David. And so, in the person of Jesus, God came and represented himself. This is what John 1 says. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you want to know what the glory of God looks like, we look full into the face of Jesus Christ. But here's the crazy thing, is that we've been invited in Christ to be a part of manifesting God's glory here on earth in Jesus. That we're now, through him, able to do what we never could have done on our own. And so we take that to, to our house as we wrap things up here. Like Adam, we are called to embody God's glory here on earth as prophets, priests, and kings. But we only do that under our true prophet, priest, and king, Jesus. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in, new, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. He says, if you have placed your faith, if you've repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, you're now a new man or a new woman. You're in Christ, the last Adam. And now, through Jesus, we are a new creation that can do what we were originally called to do in the first Adam, represent his glory here on earth by the way that we live. So what does that look like for us? He says, therefore, if that's true of you, if you're a new creation, verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're called to represent Jesus here on this earth. We are literally the body of Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you hear that? We are God's prophets speaking a better word. Your God has made a way for you to be reconciled. We are priests helping lead people back into the throne room on the merits of Jesus. And we are his kings to go rule in this world, not by lording it over people, but by coming under them in sacrificial love and in service. So if Jesus is God's true prophet, we can trust his words, his wisdom, and his way. And we know this. This is a good Sunday school answer, right? We trust, yes, we trust his words, we trust his wisdom, and he trusts his way. But I want us to do some heart work here with me. So ask yourself, what voices are we listening to? Like this week, you think about this week, what voices were, were I listening, was I listening, what voices were I listening, was I listening to? I don't know how that works grammatically, that's okay. So what voices did you listen to? <laughs> and man, we can get so caught up. I tell you what, I have to, I have to just put, literally put my cell phone in a drawer sometimes, turn it off and put it in a drawer. Because I get so hung up on the news feed, on social media, all these other competing voices that are not, we're searching right now for truth, Right? And we know the only true source of truth. What voices are we, are we listening to God's word and the truth, or are we listening to other sources? And then what words are we speaking to others? Are we speaking words that build up or words that tear down? Are we inviting this world to know their God through the words that we say and the way that we live? Or are we becoming part of that echo chamber? We need to speak God's truth. But well, they also need to be God's priest. If, if Jesus is God's true priest, and, that, and therefore, we can trust him to, to lead us into God's presence. We can trust Jesus. He said, I am the way back into the holy of holies. So let's ask our hearts this question. How do we come to God with our sin? Each of us, believers or not in this room, we each continue to walk in sin. And so we can, there's a couple different ways that I, I find myself dealing with this. Sometimes I get caught up in, well, I'm just going to kind of outweigh the good with the bad. Like, if I did enough good this week, that certainly balances the scales, Right? Like, God, there's a few things, but overall, I'm a pretty good guy. Or, or, or maybe it's, yeah, I'm bad, but did you see that guy? He's way worse. We can justify our sins. We, we can do all sorts of blame shifting. Yes, I'm bad, but they did that to me first. I, what else was I going to do? Or some of us can take on this mentality that if I, 
if I kind of sit in my sin enough, if I have enough self-condemnation, like if I just feel enough shame and guilt, I kind of pay for my sin by feeling bad enough for it. I want to tell you today, that's not the gospel. The gospel, Jesus spoke a better word. He says, you are sinful to the core, full stop. But in Christ, you are also forgiven to the core, fuller stop. And in Jesus, we can come back to the original purpose to be his image bearers and to be declared right. Not that we are right. We were wrong in our own, but we are right in Jesus. And then also, how do we approach others in in dealing with their own sins? And it's so easy to come to people with judgment and shame. We want to we look good, so if we just think other people are worse than us, we can feel good about ourselves. Typically, I won't say that to them, but I'm sure thinking it in my head, right? Or we can go the other way and excuse people's sins. And, and we can become cowardly silent. And what I mean by that is, man, we have to love each other well enough to point things out. We need to be able to, in love, speak truth. Do it gently, Galatians 6 says. Do it humbly. We're no better than them. But we have to love people enough, not just to tell them what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. That's why we start with our own sin. And just like Jesus, we can be people who are praying for the world around us. Let's be people who are constantly interceding for those around us, those that don't know Jesus, that they would see that the Spirit would convict them of their sin and convict them of Jesus and his forgiveness of that sin. And for our brothers and sisters, that they would continue to grow. And just like Jesus himself, our great high priest, gave his own life. What are the little ways this week that you can die to self and sacrificially, lovingly live for the people all around you, the way Jesus does for us? And then finally, Jesus is God's true king, the king of kings and Lord of lords, so we can trust his rule in our lives. We can trust his rule. We talked about this last week. We have the options of either being, trying to, to be our own king or letting Jesus be the king. But when we try to be our own king, we're just really putting ourselves back under slavery to sin. So we can serve sin or we can serve Jesus. So let's ask our hearts, am I trying to control my own life or am I resting in Christ's reign? And you'll know a tree by its fruit. When I am resting in a way that says Jesus is on the throne, that he is reigning and the peace, I can have peace in my heart today and I know how my story ends when he comes back on that white horse. That brings me peace and joy. That's the fruit that I bear if I believe that Jesus is on the throne. Or if I try to sit on my own throne, the fruit is gonna be anger and anxiety and unrest. We know a tree by its fruit. And then are we trying to control other people in our lives or proclaiming Christ's reign? How are we treating other people? When I could be a, a, a control freak, and I'm usually not trying to, I'm not like literally holding people down and like, come to Jesus. Like, that's not usually how I roll. But man, the way that I think about people, I am desperately trying to control, even if it's in good, like maybe there's someone in your life that's hurting and you put it on you. You're trying to be God in their lives. You're trying to save them. You're trying to rescue them. That's not our job. That's God's job. What did he say? We're God's ambassadors pointing them to God. That we come alongside our brothers and sisters and say, you, this is the one who can save you. This is the one who loves you. This is the one that you put all your hope in. Not me, in them. We turn people away from ourselves to God every single day. Not by lording over others, but by serving under. He says we make our plea. We don't coerce, we don't force. So David points us to Jesus, God's true representative son and our forever priest, our forever prophet are forever king and we have the choice to let him be that or try to be that on our own would you pray with me father god we thank you that this is true we thank you that we can rely on your good word that you have spoken to us through the prophets of old and then ultimately through jesus 
We thank you for Christ, Lord. We thank you for our prophet that came to to speak your word, to embody your word, to obey your word for us. We thank you for our priest who came shedding his own blood to usher us into that true and better temple for the rest of all time, fully forgiven, fully accepted in him, and that he is our king. And that right now, Lord, as we look around, it sure looks like nothing but chaos and darkness, and yet we know that our king reigns right now. We can rest in that reign, and we can rest in the fact that he is going to come back one day and make all things right. And in the, mo- in the meantime, Lord, that we would be your faithful ambassadors as new creation in the new Adam, that we would spend our time loving the people around us, speaking true words that build up, giving our lives sacrificially, pleading on their behalf, praying for them and pointing them to this true king in the day when the wolf will dwell with the lamb. We know there is one God and his name is Jesus Christ. It's in the name of the priest in the name of the prophet, and in the name of the king that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.